I ask you to take your Bible this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 20. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we have some underneath the chairs you're sitting in or close to you. You can turn there in one of those Bibles. But it's in the Gospel of Matthew, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 20. I want to ask you to please stand with me as we honor God and read in his word together this morning. Matthew chapter 20. I'm going to read the first 16 verses. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? Verse 7. They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. Verse 9. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Verse 10, now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only for one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I chose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge me my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Let's pray together again. We didn't cause, Lord, our hearts to start beating or our lungs to start breathing in air. And we didn't bring ourselves into existence. We're not standing here right now in this place, in this room, because of a process of evolution or, or certainly something that we contributed to. You're the creator. And you're not this creator, though, that creates us and then watches us live our life and is disinterested in us. But you're the creator God that has spoken here in this word, this book, these words that we just read. This is what you have said, this parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Why, in fact, Lord God, you came to earth and took on a human body and didn't cease to be God and and told this parable. So God, we would ask, Lord, that we would look to our creator God and his word right now, your word, and, and see ourselves as finite beings dependent upon every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And that you would help us understand these words. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. I want you to think about this question this morning. What have you left 
to follow Jesus. It's a discussion a small group of guys and I had on Wednesday for a while, and I've been thinking about some this past week. In this passage of Scripture, the disciples have replied to Jesus after he's talked to to a rich young ruler who's unwilling to depart with his possessions, and, and Jesus has said to them, that he's going to radically reward them because they've replied to him, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. So this question, it's it's not the first time following Jesus and discipleship comes up in the book of Matthew. It comes up a few different times about this radical call to follow Jesus. So a question I want us to begin with this morning, and you might just take a piece of paper out or your sermon notes or whatever and write down a couple of things that come to mind. So I'm asking you this question. If you're following Jesus, if you are, because not all of us are, But if you're following Jesus, what have you left? And I ask that question that way because to follow Jesus means you leave something. In fact, it means you leave everything. So I want you to write down, or I want you to think with me as I go through a few examples, and some of these you'll agree with. Yeah, that's me. What have have I left to follow Jesus? Because he requires that. You say you're a follower of Jesus, so what have you left? One of the things, if you look in chapter 19, and Jesus talks about radically rewarding the disciples who say they've left everything, which may be somewhat presumptuous on their part to say that. Jesus says, if you look in chapter 19, verse 29, he says, everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold. One of the things Jesus talks about there are relationships mothers and fathers and children and so forth. In other words, if you're going to put Jesus first in your life, sometimes mama's not going to want you to or sometimes daddy's not going to want you to. Sometimes your children are not going to want you to. It don't mean you leave all of them and not take care of them. But it means sometimes following Jesus puts you between, puts Jesus in front of your family in that sense. So one of the things maybe you've written down on your piece of paper you've already thought about, one of the things that you've had to leave to follow Jesus are certain relationships that you've had. Maybe to leave to follow Jesus meant you've had to leave certain friendships you once enjoyed. Well, they're still my friends, but but they can't be your buddies no more. You can't go do the same things you used to do with them anymore. You can't hang out in the same places you used to hang out with anymore. And maybe because of that, they've left you too. It was mutual, sort of, because they don't want to have anything to do with you because they're convicted about your new life now that you've left to follow Jesus. What have you left to follow Jesus? One of the things is there's houses and lands. So one of the things we think of is possessions. Have you left possessions to follow Jesus? What have you left to follow Jesus? Have you left money to follow Jesus? Well, certainly not all of it, but maybe some of you gave this morning when the offering plate was passed around, or you give regularly, you tithe regularly, however you want to talk about it. You ever sit back and thought to yourself for a minute, Man, if I didn't, if we didn't give regularly, if we didn't tithe regularly, look at what we could have. You ever thought about that before? It almost sounds simple to think about. I mean, if I didn't give regularly, look at look 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 what could be in our bank account. We could have a whole lot nicer vehicle. We could the house could be paid off a whole lot further down the road, right? If we weren't giving and we weren't tithing, but we've left to follow Jesus, and so there are certain possessions we can't enjoy because of that. What have you left to follow Jesus? 
If you're concerned as a parent to disciple your children, then perhaps that's going to mean to disciple your children, you're going to educate them a certain way that may not be popular for some people or, or, or may be difficult or hard. However you choose to educate your children, you're going to disciple them. It's going to be difficult. You're going to say to your kids sometimes, guys, we're not doing this. Yeah, I know your friends are doing it, but we're not going to watch that. We're not going to go to that place. We're not going to participate in activity. We're not going to run you all over town trying to do everything like all the other families do. Pick a couple things, but we're not doing everything. The world don't center around you. If you think that, you're not going to see your need of Jesus. So we're leaving that kind of thinking, even though everybody else around us seems to be that way. What have you left to follow Jesus? When you're out and about and this guy at work gives you a little attention, ladies, maybe the kind of attention you don't get from your own husband, and you enjoy that momentary attention you get from this other just for a moment, and so the temptation to flirt, no, you've left that. You've left that momentary pleasure of attention you might get to follow Jesus or or it might even lead to worse, right? You've left that to follow Jesus. What have you left? What are you writing down? What comes to mind? What have you left to follow Jesus? Comfort? Somebody mentioned Wednesday night time. And everybody said, yeah. Because if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to be part of his church. You're going to exhort one another, encourage one another. You're going to be involved in the lives of one another. There's time that you're going to be sacrificing to follow Jesus. You think sometimes, man, if I wouldn't give him all this time to help disciple other people and, and serve the Lord, and man, look what I could be doing. I could be doing more with my hobby, but I've left that. I've left to follow Jesus, so there's a certain amount of time that I'm sacrificing to follow Christ. I've left status. Man, if I hadn't left to follow Jesus... If I wasn't sold out to be committed to his word, I mean, look how, look how more, more successful I could be in the eyes of the world at my job or whatever it is you do. If I just cheated a little bit here or did what other people do in their businesses or at their workplaces, look where I could be if I hadn't left to follow Jesus. I'm a single adult. If I hadn't left to follow Jesus, I could enjoy that momentary premarital sex just have a little pleasure, just do what everybody else is doing, go shack up and live with somebody. But I've left to follow Jesus, so I'm a single adult. I'm still waiting, and I'm still trying to be pure, and I'm still waiting, and it hurts. But I've left to follow Jesus. We fear being obscure. We fear being insignificant. We fear going through life, I think, a lot of times, not leaving our mark on the world. And to leave to follow Jesus sometimes means nobody really thinks of us much. We're last in the eyes of the world. We fear missing out on the American dream. However, we would define that. So it's hard for us to think about departing with things. We fear being last, according to this passage of Scripture. What have you left to follow Jesus? The main point of this message this morning, this passage of Scripture we're looking at is this. If we are last, last in the eyes of the world, if we're last for the glory of Jesus, we will be first by the grace of God. And brothers and sisters, 
fellow followers of Jesus who are leaving things to follow Jesus, that is good news. If we're last for the glory of Jesus, we will be first by the grace of God. We leave, folks, what we cannot keep. Yeah, we're leaving a lot of things behind. We should be. Time and relationships and things that we could have and enjoy. But we're leaving what we can't keep anyway, right? Now here's a story in Matthew chapter 19 of the rich young ruler. And he's, got, he's, he's rich, he's got possessions. And if you look in your Bible, look at your Bible in verse 22. When Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to sell all that you got. Well, does that mean every single one of us in here, if we're going to go to heaven, we've got to sell everything we've got and have anything? That's not what it means. But it means there's nothing that can stand between us and following Jesus. And if our idol, what we really prize, if we're going to hold on to that and not follow Jesus, then we can't, be, we can't enter the kingdom of God. So when the young man heard this, if you look at verse 22, when he heard this, he went away sorrowful for... See the word for? Why was he sorrowful? For his sin? No, for he had great possessions. Not that he had sinned against God, that he needed a savior, that he was undone by his sin. He was sorry for he loved his possessions too much. And so the disciples come back and say, Lord, we have left everything. Look at your Bible in verse 20. 27, and Peter said in reply, see, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? The mentality of thinking in the Old Testament day was this. Old Testament Israel, if, God, if Israel followed Jesus and did what they said in the Old Covenant, what did God promise them? Promised land, material possessions. Kings like Solomon were, were the sign of God's favor on them was what? Material possessions and prosperity. Well, they wanted to take that same old covenant thinking into the New Testament under the New Covenant. And when Jesus talks about following him, he does not say promised land, physical possessions, material possessions, prosperity, physical prosperity is a sign of God's blessing. That's not the way it works under the New Covenant. You hear nothing of it. No, instead he says earlier, if you're going to be great in the kingdom of God, you can have heart like a faith of a child. And children in that day were looked down upon. They were last in the eyes of the world. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, then don't be looking to be first in the eyes of the world by material blessings. Humble yourself and be last in the eyes of the world like a child. Have faith and trust in me. Which means you're going to leave the pursuit of those things to follow him. There's a radical following. So the disciples say, we've left everything. Now, I don't know if that's presumptuous for them to be saying at that point or not. Who can say they've literally left everything? But they left a lot, right? They're following him. We've left everything. What then do we have? Notice in verse 29, he says, for my name's sake, right in the middle of that verse, they've left it for his name's sake. They've left everything, they say, to follow you. We're doing this for your name. We're last for the glory of Jesus. We're last for your glory, so what are we going to have? One of the lessons here we're learning is what they've, they've left are things they couldn't keep anyway. 
What we're leaving are things we couldn't keep anyway. What we leave, we cannot keep. And what we gain, we cannot lose. Amen? We're leaving what we can't keep. But number two, we gain what we cannot lose. Look at this radical reward that Jesus says back in verse 28 quickly. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold. It's a radical reward. And not only that, what else does it say? At the end of verse 29, you're looking at your Bible. What's the Bible say? And will inherit eternal life. So here's this radical reward they're going to receive. They've not earned, they receive that they can't lose. If you don't leave to follow Jesus, if you're not going to leave like the rich young ruler would, would not, you're going to be like him, you're not willing to leave certain things to follow Jesus. You say, I'm just going to wait on this. There's other things in life I want to experience first. And maybe one day on my deathbed I'll get right with God. If you're not willing to leave to follow Jesus, then you get to keep your stuff. You get to keep your Sexual promiscuity. You get to keep your flirtation with somebody that's not your spouse. You get to keep your material possessions. You get to keep your ambition to be great at your workplace or, or, or great and successful in the eyes of the world. You get to keep all of that right, right now. And it could be gone the next second. But enjoy it. <laughs> enjoy it for the next... Five seconds, five years, 50 years, and it's gone forever. We leave what we cannot keep, but we gain what we cannot lose. Notice he says, you're going to get a hundredfold, and what good's a hundredfold if you don't have eternal life? But he says, you get a hundredfold, and will inherit eternal life. He says, I'm going to reward you a hundredfold later, and you'll never lose it. <laughs> it's yours forever. Amen, church? We leave what we cannot keep, we gain what we cannot lose. And thirdly, we receive what we do not deserve. Well, this gets us to the, really the passage of Scripture we're looking at this morning. The big question being, how, do, how is it that the last becomes first? He says in verse 30, but many who are first will be last and the last first. He says it again in verse 16 of our passage here in chapter 20. We receive what we do not deserve. So Jesus tells a story. Notice he's not left the subject. He begins... The very first verse of chapter, the very first word of the first verse of chapter 20 with the word for, F-O-R. For the kingdom of heaven is like this. So he says the last to be first and the first last in verse 30. For, that's why it wasn't chapter divisions and stuff, you know, in the Bible was first written. That's more for our convenience. For the kingdom of heaven is like this. Still talking about the subject of eternity. And he tells a story about this master who owns a vineyard. It was harvest time to go out and harvest the grapes and so forth. So the Jewish work day is thought that it began at 6 a.m. in the morning and went till 6 p.m. in the evening, 12-hour work day with some breaks. And so when we read through the passage of Scripture, there's four different groups of people that are hired, of fellows that are hired to go out and work the grapes. There's the people out there early in the morning. And the master goes out. And he sees people waiting around to be hired temporarily for the day. There's still places you go where people stand around and work, wait to be hired for the day like that. They'll gather up in certain places. 
And so he says, come on, guys, and uh, I'll pay denarius. They agree to it. Well, third hour comes around, which would have been 6, that's 9 o'clock, 9 a.m., comes back, he says, I'm going to get some more workers, hires them. They agree, comes back the 12 o'clock, the 6 hour, and hires them. In fact, he comes back more than four times. Maybe I'm getting my facts mixed up a little bit, but he keeps going 6 hour and the ninth hour, excuse me. It's the 6 hour and the ninth hour, verse 5. So he comes at 12, he comes at 3 o'clock, does the same. Then he comes the 11th hour, one hour before closing time. The work day's about done. And remember, this is a parable he's telling. It's a lesson. I don't know why the master would have waited until the 11th hour to still hire workers. Why didn't he plan better than that? That's not the point. But the 11th hour comes, it's 5 o'clock. He says, hey, you all come. I need some guys, some guys to work. There's still some people working around, uh, standing around, idle, the Bible says. And they go off to work. And then it's payday. And who gets paid first in the story, class? The people that were hired last. Well, that's important for the story that Jesus is telling. Because there's some surprising grace that we're supposed to see in this passage of Scripture. You see, if you don't follow Jesus, but live life the way you want to, what do you deserve? Justice. Justice. If you, if you don't follow Jesus and live life any way you want, what do you deserve? Justice. Which means hell. Jesus pays these fellows that were hired last first. And let's just look through it in verse 10. Look at your Bible. Now when those who were hired first came, they thought they'd receive more. The others all got a denarius. And they had agreed for a denarius, but when they saw these others going up first, they got hired last and getting a denarius, they thought, all right. We're going to get more than that because we've worked all day long. We've bore the heat of the day. We've been sweating. We've been working hard here. So we should be getting more. Surprise, surprise. Look at verse 13. He replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. When he just gave them a denarius too, was he doing them wrong? He gave them what they agreed for. He gave them a denarius. He gave them justice. Did you not agree with me for a denarius, he says? You see, don't follow Jesus and live your life any way you want to. What do you, what do you deserve? Justice. Here's another question, though. Here's some people that were working for the master. So to speak, they're following Jesus. I mean, they're working hard all day long. Doing what they should be doing. If you do follow Jesus and you don't live life the way you want, you're following Jesus, you're leaving everything, what do you deserve? Justice. You deserve justice. Did you know that? The mentality of most people in the world is no, you've earned something by this following of Jesus. That payday is coming and you're going to have earned a reward. No, Jesus is saying, how is it that the last becomes first? That's the point of the parable. And the answer is it's by the sovereign grace of God. There's surprising grace, but there's sovereign grace here. Look at your Bible in verse 15. Again, the key question, how did the last become first? 
Did those who got hired the 11th hour, were they just really, really, really hard workers for an hour that impressed the master? And he said, oh, I'm so impressed, so I'll give you a denarius. No. Verse 15, what does he say? Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Can the master not do what he chooses with what belongs to him? Brothers and sisters, that's what you call grace, and that's what you call sovereign grace. He says, do you give me the evil eye? Do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. So again, to be clear, I've asked a couple questions here that make us think. Don't leave Jesus, or excuse me, don't follow Jesus and live life the way you want. And what do you get? Justice, hell. Follow Jesus and leave everything, and what is it that you've earned as a result? Justice, you've not earned anything. In other words, I want you to think about that list of everything that you've left to follow Jesus. And you put that in front of a holy God. And what we're being reminded of this morning is your leaving had nothing to do with you going to heaven. That's the point. It's all the grace of the Master. Nobody gets to heaven and say, well, I got saved when I was young and I lived my whole life for Jesus and this guy was like a thief on the cross that got saved and therefore my rewards must be much more and I must have eternal life in a way he doesn't. That's not the way it is. It's by the grace of God that any of us make it to, the, make it to heaven. So three questions I ask you to think about here. What must you leave to follow Jesus? <laughs> Everything. There's a para- it's paradoxical. It's supposed to mess with your head. If your head's being messed with, it is. What are you supposed to leave to follow Jesus? Everything. If you don't leave everything to follow Jesus, what do you get? Hell. If you do leave everything to follow Jesus, what do you get? What have you earned is a better way to say it. You don't earn, you don't earn heaven. It's grace. What must you leave to follow Jesus? Everything. And you still are. Everything. In fact, it's not, like it's, it's not a one-time leaving. It's not like, okay, I made a decision to, to follow Christ. Now I'm, now I'm okay. And now I'm going to live life the way I want to. No, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. So every day you're leaving. Every day you're, you're leaving temptations. You're, you're repenting every day. You're turning every day. It's a daily walk. Every day I'm leaving things to follow Jesus. I'm leaving ambition that would take me in a sinful way in my workplace. I'm, I'm leaving flirtation. I'm, I'm leaving this to follow Jesus every day. So, I talked to people this week. I was making some visits, and a lot of times when I talk to people, sometimes of that I'm asking, uh, people will say in relation to Bible reading, I know I don't read my Bible enough, Pastor. I know I don't pray enough. Uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you would say the same thing? Are any, is anybody going to stand up here this morning and say, you know what, preacher? I believe I read my Bible enough. I believe if I read my Bible any more at all, it would be too much. If I prayed any more, it'd be too much praying. 
Would anybody say that? So take a deep breath for a minute. We're not letting ourselves off the hook. You know, it's going, to, it's going to be leaving time to spend time following Jesus, spending the Bible, reading. You think about this list. I think a question about our list of things that we've left to follow Jesus and we think of Bible reading and prayer, whatever else it is, we think to ourselves, have I left enough? Have I left enough? Thinking of the rich young ruler who had his possessions and was, loved his possessions more. The disciples say they left everything and I think within the conflict, the conflict going inside of us, if we're honest, is have I really left enough? What have you left to follow Jesus? It should be leaving everything. It should be leaving something every day. It's a daily thing. What have you done? Here's my second question. What have you done to go to heaven? What's the answer? Nothing. You haven't done anything to earn heaven. Nothing to go to heaven. There's nothing you can do. Nothing I can do. I think of, I was thinking, laying in bed Friday morning. And uh, thinking about preaching. And I was thinking about Adisa, which is, who is a, a Bosnian Muslim lady we met last summer. And Adisa came to one of our English courses we were teaching one day. And unlike most of the students who, if they're Muslim, they're cultural Muslim, she came with her head covering. And, and when the call to prayer was going on, you know, the Muslim call to prayer, I'm talking about, ay, 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 and all that. Uh, and Muslims are supposed to stop and pray. Most of the students just stop what they're, most of the students just keep on going like nothing's going on, you know. Don't mean nothing to them. But Adisa gets up, walks away from our little group quietly, takes a bottle of water with her, goes around the corner, and she's taking that bottle of water to do her ceremonial washing on her hands and to bow down toward Mecca and pray. She's dedicated, Muslim. And I was thinking about Adisa. And I was thinking about what's the difference with Adisa. Adisa... For her religion, false religion, but for her religion, is leaving things. She's sacrificing looking foolish in, the, in, the, in front of her friends, you know, to follow Allah. She's leaving things too. She's leaving, not dressing like the rest of her supposed cultural Muslim friends. So what's the difference? She's leaving everything to follow Allah so that she can get to heaven. We leave everything to follow Jesus who lays down his life for us so we can go to heaven. There's an eternal difference. Our motivation is not to earn anything from him. Our motivation is to show our love for him. He's taken, the blind, he's taken the blinders off my eyes. I see the ugliness of my sin. I see the fact that God became flesh and died for me. Now I want to follow him. I want to leave everything. Just tell me what to do. You want me to be baptized? Where's the baptistry? I'll get baptized right now. Just tell me what to do. It's like that demon-possessed man that Jesus meets. Name, who, who had demons in him, they called himself Legion, right? What's he want to do? He wants to go with Jesus. He wants to be with him. He loves him. 
The motivation for our leaving everything to follow Jesus is not to earn anything. It's because we've been given everything from him already. What do you do to follow Jesus? Do you leave everything? What's, what do you do to go to heaven? Nothing. What's God done so you can go to heaven? Christ became last. We look last in the eyes of the world because we're following Jesus. But Jesus became last in our place. He became last in the eyes of the world. Why? Well, if you look in the next passage of Scripture in chapter 20, it tells us about how he's going to go up to Jerusalem in verse 18. And the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and scribes, and they'll condemn him to death. He looks last in the eyes of the world. We're not like Adisa, who's leaving things for our religion so that we can earn a place with our God who'll be impressed with all our works. We're leaving everything because our God came down to us and laid down his life and came last for us and died in the, for our sins on the cross. Well, this is, well, like I said, it's one of those things in Scripture that's supposed to mess with our minds. It's supposed to humble us is ultimately what this is supposed to do. You may think to yourself, I need to work on this as a Christian. I need to leave this more behind as a Christian to follow Jesus. Or I need to work on being more loving. And ultimately the thrust of this passage of Scripture, what it leads us to is this. You need to work on being loving. You need to work on being willing to leave more of your selfishness or leave more of this or leave more of that in your life or read your Bible more or whatever it is. Or you simply need to leave being king of your own kingdom and follow Jesus, be saved, be born again. What this passage of scripture, when it talks about the grace of God and he does what the master with the house does with his grace, whatever he wants to, what it means is you need to fall down on your knees and cry out to God and say, oh God, I need to be more loving. Or, oh God, I need to be a better husband. I need to be a better Christian. Oh God, I need to be a Christian. I need to be born again. And I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. You need to humble yourself and call upon God and, and ask him to save you through faith in Jesus. That's the only thing that will. That's what a passage of scripture like this does. It leads us to the cross. It leads us away from what we've done and leads us to what Jesus has done. That's where you receive grace and nowhere else. And brothers and sisters, this is good news. I mean, you can sit there like a night on log if you want to, but I'm going to say, glory! Amen? It's not up to me to be good enough to get to heaven. It's that same old message pastor preaches all the time because that's the same old message that's in there all the time. It's all about what he has done. And it's freeing because it's by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone that we are made right with God. If we're last for the glory of Jesus, we'll be first by the grace of God. You know what? There's not going to be any autograph table up in heaven for people that have worked really hard for Jesus, like Moses or Abraham. We can say, come up to them and say, Moses, would you sign my Bible? That's not the way it's going to be. 
No, there's going to be a throne, the Bible says in the book of Revelation. And all those that are there are going to be bound down upon their faces and upon their knees saying, Worthy are you to receive honor and glory and blessing. That's the focus. And by God's grace, may that be our focus now, that he get all the glory. I love the song we sing sometimes, Jesus is Better. And I love the refrain of the song in the middle of it where it says, In all my sorrows... Now we, there's a lot of things we leave to follow Jesus that causes us sorrow still. Even now, our hearts are hurting over things that we could have if we weren't following Jesus. But we say, we're singing it together. In all my sorrows, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe this. Because right now I'm really feeling sorrowful. Make my heart believe. In every victory that I experience in this life, however momentary or occasional that may be, but in every victory, when things are just going great, right? I mean, I've had a good day for a change. Work is good. In every victory, though, Jesus is better. So make my heart believe so I don't idolatrize, however, that's not a word, but you know what I mean. I don't make an idol of how good a day I had today because Jesus is better than that. Don't let that be my focus. Jesus is better. It's all about his grace. He's going to radically reward me because he's gracious, not because I've been good. Then any comfort, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. More than all riches, Jesus is better. You don't know how you're going to pay your bills right now. You just wish you could get a little bit more dough coming in. More than all riches, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Our souls declaring. Right? This is the part I like. Because I, I picture one day us being in heaven together, right? Before the throne, no autograph tables, but before the throne of God and our souls from First Baptist Church and other believers who believe in Jesus Christ, our souls declaring, Jesus is better. But right now we sing it together, make our hearts believe it now. One day we won't have to sing that part anymore, right? Our song eternal, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that our hearts could exult over the truth of the gospel, Lord. That the sacrifices that are required of followers are worth it. If it means going to Argentina and just seeing family once in a great while, Jesus is still better than seeing family. Lord, if it's uh, being pure while all my friends are doing whatever they want, it's worth it because Jesus is better. And what a day it's going to be when our Jesus we shall see. When I look upon the face of the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me across the promised land, what a day, what a day it's going to be. So, Lord, keep our minds and our hearts focused on Jesus and never let us think for one second that what we do 
is earning us anything that we deserve. But let us also be encouraged and know that you are graciously going to reward us on that day. So Father, help us to keep leaving. Some of us are wrestling right now with things we ought to be leaving in our following of Jesus. And I pray that whatever we're convicted of, whatever sin that is, that we would say that Jesus is better and that we'd flee it. Father, I pray for the unbeliever that's here this morning that they could see the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ, His grace, His goodness. They would turn from sin and trust only in Jesus. I ask these things for your glory, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to stand here in just a moment and sing together about the grace of God. And if you're here this morning while we're singing, you'd like to come and speak with me about something. uh, going on in your heart or in your life, I'd love to talk with you or pray with you. If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you understand that if you died right now, you go to heaven, but the Lord's working on you, man, come on up here and let us, let's talk. Let's talk about what's going on in your heart. Do that right now if you would. Let's stand together as we sing. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's Mount Alport, there where the blood of the Lamb was sealed. God's grace.
this morning. And uh, if you're here and you're not sure where it is you stand with the Lord, uh, I'd love to talk with you about that if, or just something you need prayer about. Maybe you're just having a hard time and I'd love to talk with you. I know there's other believers you can talk with too. So fellowship a little bit this morning before you leave. Encourage one another and, and hang around and talk. And I'll be standing at the back doors. love a chance to speak with you as well. Uh, Tim's on here to pray this morning. I don't see him, so he's in security. Okay. Well, Tim, last will you close us in prayer then? Yes, sir. Father God, we just praise you for the opportunity to come here this morning to hear your word preached and preached well. God, we praise you for the opportunity to fellowship with other believers and to edify one another through that. We just pray that your word, as we heard it this morning, would do what it should do in our hearts, God, and that as we go from here today, that we would remember that there are things that we have to die to ourselves every day, God, that we have to take up our cross and follow you that it's not about our life that we live and enjoy, but the, the life that you live through us, God. And we pray that we would be willing every day to give up those things in our lives that don't need to be there, God, so that we have more room to glorify you and to worship you, God, because you are worthy. God, and we praise you for all things. We praise you for your son's death on the cross. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus' body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel.